the book. This morning we're going to look at two prophets, uh, plus a third book that was written by one of these prophets that we're going to be talking about. This morning we're going to be looking at Jeremiah, we're going to be looking at Zephaniah, and we're going to be looking at the book of Lamentations. Now the book of Lamentations is written by Jeremiah the Holy, as the Holy Spirit moved on his heart during the same period of time that Jeremiah preached as Zephaniah preached, and they were also con uh, contemporaries of Habakkuk. And two weeks ago, we looked at Habakkuk. Remember, uh, Christ of the book of Habakkuk is the everlasting one. Remember, Habakkuk was the, the prophet that came to God and said, Lord, look at how sinful Judah is. How long are you going to put up with this? You need to do something about their sin. And the Lord told him what he was planning on doing. And Habakkuk backed down and said, oh, Lord, oh, that's just, it's too much. But you are the everlasting one. And our faith and our trust is in you. Well, Jeremiah, he is actually going to prophesy. He's going to preach to Judah for 40 years. Uh, Zephaniah, only about two years. Habakkuk, only about two years. But it was during that 40-year period that Jeremiah is proclaiming the truth of God's Word to an extremely wicked, wicked nation. Remember, Israel, the northern kingdom, has already gone into Assyrian captivity. And Babylon has destroyed Assyria and uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, because of their grievous sin, is about to go into Babylonian captivity. So Jeremiah, he starts preaching about the same time as Zephaniah and Habakkuk. They all three start preaching at the same time that Josiah becomes the king of Judah. Now Josiah was a good king. And I think it has to do with the fact that, that Jeremiah was his, his mentor. Remember that Josiah's dad was Ammon. He was a wicked king. Uh, Ammon's father, uh, Josiah's grandfather, was Manassas. And he was extremely wicked. No one was as bad as Manassas was. As a matter of fact, Manassas was so bad, when Josiah finally came and he was a righteous king, he did what was right in the eyes of God. God said, Josiah, I'm going to bless you, but I'm still going to destroy Judah. Because of Manasseh's sin, I can't tolerate that. And so, Josiah, I'm going to bless you, but when your time is up, uh, the destruction, the judgment is still coming. And certainly it did, because Josiah's son, he did that which was evil and wicked in the, side, in the sight of God. So Jeremiah starts preaching about 500 years before Christ. Zephaniah starts declaring the day of the Lord about 500 years before Christ. So did Habakkuk. As, as we look at, at Christ of the book in Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Zephaniah, he is the king in the mist. And what I think is so important about understanding these prophets and Christ of the book, the, the theme of each one of them is that, Judah, you need a righteous king. You need a good shepherd. Judah, listen, the good news is there's going to be the righteous king in your midst. The kingdom of God is going to be established on earth. The promises that God has made to Israel are going to be brought about. God is going to fulfill His promises. 
But there is a day of the Lord. There is God's judgment coming. And all during this time that Jeremiah is preaching, he sees Judah getting more and more and more wicked. He sees them worshiping false gods, Balaam and Molech, and adopting, adapting everything that the nations, the Gentile nations around them were into. Judah is just gobbling that up, and they're just relishing in that, and they're, they, they're doing the exact same thing. So their days are absolutely numbered. But it's, Zach, but it's Jeremiah that talks about it. There's going to be a righteous branch. There's going to be that perfect shepherd that you so desperately need. And when you think of all the other kings they'd had, they were pretty rotten to the core. But there's a righteous one coming. And Zephaniah pretty much doing the same thing. He told about the future rejoicing that Israel is going to be doing. But Lamentations written by Jeremiah, again, as he saw Judah slipping further and further and further down the toilet. And his, the book of Lamentations really is a funeral dirge. It's, it's a poem. He personifies Jerusalem as as this lady that is going to suffer extreme persecution or extreme judgment that is coming. And it's all because of her sin that she is going to die. She's going to pay. Look at Jeremiah 39. This is about the time that Jeremiah writes... Limitations. Look at Jeremiah 39. Remember, you can go to 2 Kings 25, same historical things happening or happening in 2 Kings 25. Uh, go there and read the same story. But in the ninth year of Zedekiah, and this is not the prophet Zedekiah, this is a bad king. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all of his army against Jerusalem, and they besieged it. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is the one that came when uh, Hezekiah was the king of, of, of Israel, remember? Or Judah. Hezekiah is, is the king. He's a good king. The king of Babylon comes, Nebuchadnezzar comes, and Hezekiah says, hey, come, I want to show you the temple. I want to show you all that we have here. And he shows him the temple, and that king says, hmm, I could use that gold. I could use that silver. I could use all that stuff. Remember, Isaiah goes to Hezekiah and says, what did you do? What have you done? And Isaiah tells him, and this was quite a few years before this, this event. But so now, Nebuchadnezzar has come and he has besieged Jerusalem. And it's about this time that, that uh, Jeremiah writes Lamentations. And in the book of Lamentations, Christ is the weeping prophet. The sadness, the pain, the torment that Jeremiah feels for for Judah, for Jerusalem, 
and what is, is going to, to happen there literally describes a funeral and what's, what's taking place. It kind of reminds you of Luke 19.41. Luke 19.41, what does Christ do? He comes and he looks over the city. And when he was come near, he beheld the city. What did he do? He wept over it. Talk about the weeping prophet. You know, what's interesting about that, and we talked about that this morning in Sunday school, uh, when, when they went into captivity, Israel went into captivity because they worshipped every strange god there was to worship. They bowed the knee to Baal. They bowed the knee to Moloch. Any, any god, matter of fact, every one of the cities in Judah had a special god, and they worshiped that god, and they, did, they actually took things out of the temple, it, the way I read it, and put it in those cities worshiping those, those false gods. They were false gods all over. And Jeremiah writes lamentations weeping because the outcome of that, God's, the first commandment was what? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And they worshiped everything but the true and living God. But Judah hadn't changed very much when Christ comes. Because this time... The, they had gone from worshiping every god to not accepting the true and living God. The one thing that disturbed the religious, the Pharisees and the Sadducees about Christ coming is that he declared himself to be the Son of God. And that's blasphemy. We can't have that. They went from one extreme worshiping anything and everything to when the true God showed himself and based on everything that the prophets had said that he would do, Without exception, the proof was there. The, it was positive. Here is your Messiah. The, the blind see, the deaf walk, the lame, uh, lame uh, the deaf hear, the lame, all, all the things that the Messiah was supposed to do. The dead are raised. Hey, you don't do that unless you're God. And he declared himself to be God. And they said, no, we, we wouldn't. They weren't going to make, they were so stuck on what had caused them to be taken into captivity 400 years prior. They weren't going to make those same, that same mistake, but they were going to go to the other end of the spectrum. And what did they basically say about Christ? Christ in his parable even said that they are going to declare, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so what does Christ do? He weeps. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you wouldn't come. You wouldn't come. And it's because of the wickedness and the blind. They were just not wanting to serve who the true and living God is. So Jeremiah is writing lamentations as he weeps over the city. I think pointing to a time when the Lord Jesus is going to come and, and weep over the city. Look at Lamentations 1. Lamentations 1, verse 8. Well, uh, 1 1 says, How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become as a widow? Basically, that describes Jerusalem. But look at verse 8. 
Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. All that honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sighs and turns backward. Verse 9, her filthiness is in her skirt. She remembers not her last end. Therefore she came down wonderfully. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy hath magnified himself. The book of Lamentation goes on and on and on about how sad it is what's going on in Judah because she had turned, in Jerusalem, she had turned away from God. But the good news in Lamentation is Lamentation 3.22. He reminds himself, he reminds Judah, verse 22 of chapter 3, it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. How true and accurate that is. He, with, with the sadness, with the despair, with the feelings of, of sorrow that he was experiencing as he saw what was going to happen to Jerusalem, he reminds himself that it's God's mercies that are renewed every morning. But we're about to find out God's mercies aren't going to be renewed. God's about to tell him that there's no remedy. There's no, there's, there's no salvation that's coming to them. But Jeremiah and Zephaniah, and this weep, the weeping prophet, that there will be no mercy. Heart, Jeremiah's heartbreaking tears flowing, stunned by the sin and rebelliousness of Judah. And they both continued to preach during that captivity that was coming. Uh, Judah went into captivity three times before their final. There were three sieges, I'll tell you that. There were three sieges. Uh, the sieges. Nebuchadnezzar came and went, okay, I'm going to set this guy up as king, and, but he didn't destroy. And he set, he set this king up and said, okay, you're my vessel, uh, my vessel, and you just kind of uh, go along with what I tell you to do. And so it, things weren't that bad, but that king, Josiah's son, rebelled. And Nebuchadnezzar said, that's not going to do. So he came back and he besieged it again. Second uh, uh, Kings 24.1 talks about the first time he besieged it. Second uh, Kings 24.9 uh, talks about the next time he comes and besieges it. And then Second uh, Kings 25.1 talks about when he came and said, that's it. And he destroys it. He levels it. So three different besieges. The first besiege, the first time he does, that's when uh, Daniel and Ezekiel are going to be talking about them in a, in a few months, or weeks, hopefully. It might be a few months, I don't know. Uh, Daniel and Ezekiel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're the ones that go in that first besiege that Nebuchadnezzar takes them into, into Babylon. And then they start prophesying, and they, all the things that are, we find in Daniel, that's what that's all about. And so those three things, it, it, God is, is, is working, he's moving, uh, and he's declaring his truth. And every time they rebel, the sin there is just unbelievable. And God just doesn't allow them to, to repent. It gets to the point that uh, God said, that's it, judgment's coming. 
There's no more time for repentance. There's no more time for you to get right with me. Judgment is coming. You're going to go into captivity. You're going to die by the sword. And there's nothing you can do, talking to Judah, his people, to prevent this. And that's, when you stop and think about that, that's pretty sad. Without remedy, there is no healing. And what's interesting is, Second Chronicles 7.14, remember what God told Solomon? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll do what? I'll heal their land. So what must not have been going on during this time? And you're right if you say there was no repentance, there was no turning back, there was no confession, there was no seeking God during that time. To the point that Jeremiah finally goes to uh, Zechariah, that final king, and he tells him, he says, don't you rebel. Do not fight against this. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come. He's going to take you over. You are going to go into Babylon and you just go with the flow. That's paraphrase. Not exactly what he said, but it's close to it. You just do not fight against this. Remember, Zechariah is the one that had Jeremiah because he didn't like what Jeremiah said. It's Zechariah that had him put down in a cistern. And they just kind of throw breadcrumbs and throw some water down there to him. And it's pretty miserable. Never been in jail. can't imagine it being as bad as a cistern. And the reason that Jeremiah was there is because he had prophesied the truth of what was coming, and the priest of Judah, those that were in charge of the temple, they went, no, 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 you can't say that. You've got to say this. And Jeremiah said, I can't say that. That's not what God's told me to say. And it was the religious leaders of Judah at that time that had Jeremiah taken and thrown into a pit. And Zedekiah said, well, okay. Didn't say anything about it. Didn't protect him. It was Nebuchadnezzar's captain when they came to destroy Judah that got him out of that cistern and sort of pat him on the back and said, well, things are going to get better now. Of course, then, as we're going to see, Jeremiah is going to then prophesy against Babylon. Wouldn't be, he didn't get thrown back in the cistern, but things he says about Babylon and what's coming is pretty intense. So you have Jeremiah preaching and teaching about Christ, the righteous branch, the, the great shepherd, the one that you so desperately need. And at the same time, you have Zephaniah. Zephaniah preaching and talking about the king in the midst, but he's also talking about the day of the Lord. He's talking about God's judgment. And I think it was two types. There was the immediate judgment that God was bringing on Judah, but there's also the day of the Lord. Judah, you don't want to be part of that. The day of God's wrath. The day of Jacob's time of Jacob's trouble. The tribulation period. That seven-year period that Daniel talks about is going to be such a horrendous time on the earth like the earth has never seen before. Christ talks about that in Matthew 24. It's to be avoided at all costs. You don't want to be part of that. Zephaniah talks about the day of the Lord. Look, look at Zephaniah with me. 
Zephaniah is right after Habakkuk. Right after Habakkuk. Look at Zephaniah 1-2. I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of heaven and the fish of the sea and the stumbling blocks of the wicked. I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. Now you read this and you stop, but wait a minute, what, what about all the promises? What about all the, the kingdom assurances that Isaiah made concerning the lamb and the wolf and the, and the, and the lion and the child playing next to the otter, the, uh, otter hole? What, what about all the blessings that are to come upon Israel? How is that going to be realized if, if God's hand of judgment is going to be upon Judah, upon Israel? Look at verse 4. I will stretch out my hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the name of the cherubims with the priests. And he goes on to talk about, you've worshipped these other gods. Enough is enough. This is not going to happen anymore. Look at verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near. It hastens greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath. A day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a, great, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpets. He's describing the day of the Lord. You go to the book of Revelation chapter 18 and, and other places in Revelation where it describes what's coming in the day of the Lord in the tribulation period. God is going to do what he brought against Judah here with Babylon coming in. He's going to do it again in the future. Look at chapter 2 of Zephaniah. Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired. Boy, what a, what a position to be in. Israel, here in Judah, you're a nation not desired. You were God's chosen people. You were to be his nation of priests, his kingdom of priests. You were to be the light unto the Gentiles. You were to be that nation that God used to show the rest of the world who the true and living God is. Your testimony is instrumental for the Gentiles to come to know the true God. It's what the prophets declared. It's what God himself declared to them. But now, O nation not desired, before the decree bring forth, before the day passes the shaft, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you, seek the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness, that it may be that you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Boy, that's kind of chilling, isn't it? That was the message to Judah. But Zephaniah had another message to Judah. Look at Zephaniah 3, verse 8. Therefore wait ye upon me, says the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination, and hey, when God determines, when God ordains to do something, guess what? He's going to do it. He's going to do it. 
For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. That is the great and terrible day of the Lord that's coming. That's what Jeremiah is talking about. It's going to happen. Look at Zephaniah 3.14. We'll start with verse 12. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments, he hath cast out thy enemy, the king of Israel, even the Lord. You want to know which king it is? Hey, it's not Manasseh, it's not Ammon, it's not Hezekiah, it's not Josiah. The the true king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee, and thou shalt not see evil any more. Well, that's good news. You start out with Zephaniah, the day of the Lord, and the judgment that's coming. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thy not, and to Zion, Let not thy hands be slack. For the Lord thy God is in the midst of thee, is mighty. That's good news. Hey, it's bad news that Judah is about to go into captivity. It's about to be destroyed. The temple is about to be leveled. Jerusalem's people are about to be taken into captivity. Look at Isaiah 12. Now Isaiah has prophesied years and years prior to this. But there's a promise. Isaiah 12 verse 6. Cry out and shout, shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. See, Israel's hope is we're going to get the righteous king. We're going to get the right king. We're going to get the one who is Lord of lords and king of kings. That's the promise. That's the hope. How is that going to happen? Wait a minute. How is that going to happen? Look at Jeremiah 11. Is that, that's an important question that needs to be answered every one of the prophets talked about the day of the Lord every one of the prophets warned Judah and Israel about God's wrath that a reminder that you serve a righteous God you serve a holy God but the life you're living is not righteous it's not holy and there's a payday someday Jeremiah 11, verse 11. Therefore saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape, and though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Second Chronicles 7:14. If my people, which are called by my name, well, from what Jeremiah is saying, not anymore. Not anymore. 
I will not hearken unto them. Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods unto whom they offer incense, but they shall not save them at all in the time of their trouble. Why is God so angry? Why is he so mad? Because they're worshiping false gods. He has every right to be jealous. He has every right to demand their love. God's a jealous God. Do you know why? Because he knows that piece of wood can't answer prayer. That that stone idol can't see your needs. He knows they're nothing. He knows they're not alive. He knows who's behind them. And it's for your destruction, not for your life. He's the God. He's the one that has their best interest. He's the true God. Worship me. Love me. I'm the one that created all this. I'm the one that's blessed you. And they turned away from him each time. Verse 13, And for according to the number of thy cities, where thy gods, O Judah, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, have you set up altars to that shameful thing, even the altars to burn incense unto Baal? That's what was going on throughout the city. Therefore pray not, listen to this, Therefore pray not thou for this people, God speaking through Jeremiah says, stop praying for them. Stop praying for them. If you don't think that gives you insight into God's feelings about sin, pray not for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them. I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. Wow, what a position to be in. Have you ever heard that about loving God? Have you ever heard that truth preached concerning the God in heaven? I, I read all that and to me, it's startling. And you think, what hope do they have? That's God's attitude toward their sin. What's, what's going to rescue them? What's going, no, not what. Who is going to rescue them? Who is the one that's going to make a difference that changes everything? As a matter of fact, look at uh, Jeremiah 15. Just to kind of follow up on that. Look at Jeremiah 15, verse 1. You want to know how fed up God was with Judah and with Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem and the nation of Israel and their sin and worshiping other gods? Look at Jeremiah 15, 1. Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. That's a pretty bad position to be in. Kind of reminds you of, depart from me for I never knew you. That's a whole other sermon. 
But that's God's attitude. So what in the world is going that can be done to help that hopeless, hopeless position? God has abandoned Judah? That's what it sounds like to me. God has forsaken Judah? That's what it sounds like to me because they'd forsaken him, gone after strange gods. God's covenant relationship to them was conditional. Remember, if thou, and he lists the things, you do this, I'll do this. But they're forsaken. There are so many other scriptures we could read that point out they're forsaken. Look at Isaiah 50, 51, real quick. And then I'm going to share with you what the remedy is for them. Because it's kind of depressing. You, you, you read all of that that he's going to do. In Isaiah 51. And there's so many scriptures there in Isaiah 51. But just read the one. We're running out of time. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. I mean, you those scriptures, uh, what, what difference is it? Uh, verse 3 of, of chapter 51 of Isaiah, for the Lord shall comfort Zion. What is the basis for that? And when I was studying this, Scripture came to my mind. Scripture came to my mind. Matthew 27, 46. Judah has been forsaken. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lanzabeth, Nai. That is to say, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? What was Christ doing on Calvary's cross? Paying for Israel's sin. But not just Israel's sin. All of our sin. God the Father had forsaken God the Son in order to pay the debt. Look at Isaiah 53. You're already at Isaiah Look at Isaiah 53. What, what is the answer? What is the answer? Verse 3, Isaiah 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we redeemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. This is Isaiah talking to the nation of Israel, to Judah about their Messiah, the one they needed to trust in, the true God of heaven that they had rejected. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Go back and read all of those even if Moses and Samuel stood before me and pleaded for them, I'm not going to hear. There is no more remedy. 
But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Payment paid in full. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her, before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. This Messiah. This Son of God. This God in the flesh. He became that blood sacrifice that God the Father required. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And old Judah had committed such horrendous sin. And he came into his own. And John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, when you, when you look at the comparison, Israel, Judah, sin, and they're turning from God, and they're, they're turning their backs on their, the true and living God, and the filth, and the degradation, and the sin they were involved in. God should have said, that's enough. I've had it with you people. Squash. But he didn't. What God required... He became in order to take upon himself the iniquity of us all. See, it's not so much that God could not look on sin the way Habakkuk talked about it. But as we see that sin, I, I think as you bring these prophets in and you hear their hearts cry and you see the conditions of Israel and now the conditions of Judah, I think we have an understanding of the absolute portrayal of Christ of the book. You know, we've talked about Genesis, you know, he's creator. In Exodus, he's, uh, he's deliverer. And we are finding Christ of the book as we're going from Genesis to Revelation but you take Genesis to Revelation and you know who the Christ of the book is? He is the great, the wonderful wrath bearer. That's who he is. Find Christ Jesus. He's the one who takes upon himself the wrath of a righteous God who can't tolerate sin. And what do we have? We have God stepping forward and giving himself as payment in full for not only Judah's sin at the time, but for our sin. But the bottom line is, Christ came into his own and his own did what? They received him not. We will not have this man to reign over us. Prophetically, God could have said, you want to bet? I talked about the day of the Lord there at Zephaniah and Isaiah. Not, I talked about the day of the Lord. You haven't seen nothing yet. In the tribulation period, and Peter talks about the fact that they started out in that tribulation period. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. The tribulation was about to start again. God was about to get their attention again in the tribulation. That's what the tribulation is all about. It's to get Israel's attention. All of these promises, all of these pledges, 
And we'll take up Jeremiah. We're, we've not even scratched the surface with Jeremiah yet. Because I, I want to talk to you about what's going to happen to Babylon. Because not only did he prophesy against Judah, but he prophesied against Babylon. Now, like I said, I'm surprised they didn't throw him back in the pit. But Christ Jesus, he is the wrath bearer. He is the one who paid it all. Though our sins be as scarlet, Isaiah wrote, they shall be what? White as snow. How? 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 How can such sinful people? I guarantee you there is no way that my sins could be as white as snow. There is no way that if God is a just God, and he is, if he's a righteous God, and he is, there's no way that he can just look at my sin and go, okay, I'm going to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west just because I like you. That does not happen. You know what? God can't. If he's a just God, how can God be just and the justifier? He laid upon Christ Jesus my sin. Payment in full for your sin. That's the love of God. He saved the chief of sinners. He saved the one who was breathing out, slaughtering, and killing God's people on the road to Damascus to grab more people and take them back to Jerusalem to suffer persecution. Here was this chief of sinners. Here was this guy that was leading the rebellion against God. And God does something that none of the prophets talked about. None of the prophets expected. It's nowhere in the Old Testament what God had planned from before the foundation to save fallen man, Jew and Gentile, to form the body of Christ made up of Jew and Gentile, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, by grace. His covenant relationship with Israel caused them to keep, they just kept turning away. They kept turning back. God kept his promises. But today God's salvation is not based on any covenant relationship he made with anyone. It's based on his grace, his mercy, and his payment in full. And today I stand righteous in Christ. Not, not because of my own righteous, because I got news for you. According to the scriptures, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. My position that I can stand before a holy God is because I stand in Christ. Not, folks, that salvation, that salvation didn't cost me anything. But it cost him everything. And what amazing God we serve. That salvation that he offers, he offers free. That eternal life that he promises, he gives freely to all who believe and put their trust in him. 
It's coming to him and realizing, Lord, I can't satisfy your righteous requirements, but oh, your son has. And by faith, I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose again. I trust him. Not my good works, not my deeds, not my efforts, not my church membership. I trust him. And you know what God does when a person believes that? God takes that person and he places them, the Holy Spirit takes them and places them into the body of Christ. He seals it until the day of redemption. So you have that salvation. You guys keep doing that. We might be here till one or two o'clock. You just don't know. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God that gives us an opportunity to serve Him. You, you, oh, the one thing that I, I can't get enough of that study of, of these prophets and their plea and their crying out and God's response, it just illuminates the sin of mankind and People say, well, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? I got news for you. How could he not? Now, that, how could he not? If he's as righteous as God's word says he is, and he is. Of course, we know that God doesn't send anybody to hell. What God does is he offers salvation to all. People send themselves by rejecting I, my question is not how can a loving God reject anybody? He doesn't. But how can people reject such a loving God? That's, that's the main question. Not sure how we got off on that, but it's true. <laughs> and my question to you this morning is do you know this God? The one who loves you so much that, that just time after time after time he's shown himself to be so real, so true. The scriptures prove themselves to be accurate, that you can embrace them, you can believe them. You can believe what's happened historically, but oh, more importantly at this point, you can believe what's coming. And it's not what's coming, it's who's coming. And my question is, are you ready? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Oh, we thank you for your amazing grace. How thankful we are that you looked beyond our faults and you saw our need. And Father, you met that need by your amazing grace. You met that need by coming and becoming that one sacrifice that was so desperately needed. Father, what you required, you became. Father, we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins and your blood flowed from Calvary's cross. Father, we come recognizing that it's only Christ's blood that can save us. That He and He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we come recognizing that it's only through Christ Jesus that we can have eternal life. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never by faith trusted, they've never believed that Christ died for them, Father, may the Holy Spirit just convict them to such a degree that they'll understand they need to believe that. Father, they need to believe that He was buried for them. 
They need to believe that He rose again, that it's true, that you are alive, that we serve a risen Savior who's coming again. Father, we thank you for the gospel, the good news that we are to preach and proclaim today. May we be faithful to do it as we see you from Genesis to Revelation as the wrath bearer. And we praise your name, Father, for that truth. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.